Micro Megas So my name is Nate Lambert. Uh, I um, currently uh, work for a uh, financial tech company here in Bozeman, a relatively new one. Uh, I'm a recent arrival to Bozeman. I, I landed here about two years ago uh, after spending about 20 years in the Marine Corps. Today's episode was originally meant to be about uh, Bunker Labs, a group that helps veterans start businesses. You'll hear more about them at the end. But there's so much more to Nate's story that I wanted to share. Like you just heard, he's a 20-year veteran of the Marine Corps. So I talked with him about his time in the armed forces and the experience of transitioning back to civilian life. I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, um, and, and had a pretty, I would say, you know, normal, uh, average uh, Midwest uh, childhood and upbringing. Uh, pretty fortunate. My, my parents were both very hardworking, but were able to provide... Um, you know, provide very well for us. So I, I was fortunate to, to get a great education, fortunate to uh, grow up in a, in a warm, safe, uh, very comfortable environment, uh, fortunate to grow up with a younger brother, and met my wife in high school, uh, or my future wife in high school. We dated in high school. And, and that took us to, or took me to a point where uh, at about 18, 19 years old, uh, started looking around, started looking for something else to, to do. I thought the, the prospects of of, of continuing to live in Cleveland and uh, not, not real great. So at that point in my life, started looking around for some other opportunities, some other uh, things to do. When you were growing up, did, did you grow up in a military family? Were there people in your family who were in the military? Or what made you decide to pursue the armed forces? I think that that, that, that pursuit of the armed forces was, was a very personal uh, choice. So I, I did not grow up in a military family, per se. Uh, and I had a grandfather who served in World War II, uh, and and you know, like a lot of folks of that generation, served served in the Army or, or, or the Marine Corps or the Navy. But you know, I, did, I didn't. My, my parents were in the military. I didn't grow up around a lot of aunts and uncles that were in the military. Uh, but it's kind of interesting that that both my brother and I chose the military as, as not just a you know, not just a job, but as, as a profession for almost a, you know for for two decades. And, and I think you, you know, you bring up an interesting question: is, is why why do you join the military? Why did I join the military? And I think probably like a lot of young Americans, you know, as you kind of reach 18, 19 years old, you start looking for something different. Start looking for some new experiences. Start looking for uh, some some opportunities, some challenges, maybe a little bit of adventure, if you will. And, and I think you know, uh, the military to some extent does a good job of, of recruiting and playing to that that desire. So, so in large part, it was it was it was the desire to to kind of seek uh, some new experiences, the desire to kind of seek something beyond what I had been used to in growing up in in, in the Midwest in a relatively safe, comfortable environment for for eighteen, nineteen years. You ultimately you ended up spending about twenty years in the Marine Corps. Yeah. That's an awfully long time. At that point, why did you eventually decide to leave? Why didn't you decide to stay with it? You know, that's a good question, um, and I think it, it really came down to a, a couple of factors that, you know, the, my wife uh, and I talked a lot about, my brother and I talked a lot about, and, and it really came down to, you know, at, at one, that lifestyle is, is relatively hard on families. Um, there are long periods of time away. You certainly get to miss a lot of those life events and, and things that your families go through. So well, that was certainly one factor. I think I think from a family perspective, from a you know quality of life perspective, it was it was time to to make a move. 
I also thought from a, from a, from me personally, from a career perspective, that I had kind of accomplished what I had set out to do. And I had, I had been fortunate to have a, a relatively successful career in, in my career field in the Marine Corps. But I really found that I, I for the most part, was, was happy and satisfied with what I had accomplished and, and really ready to take on some new challenges to, to really kind of seek out what that next opportunity would be, kind of get out of my comfort zone, you know, gotten quite comfortable if after 20 years in the Marine Corps, you really knew what you were doing, so to speak. Uh, so, so I think the, the opportunity to, you know, kind of like I, I did at, at, at 20 years old in terms of, of joining the Marine Corps to seek some new challenges, it was kind of at that point 20 years later that it was time to, to kind of to put the military career behind me and, and seek out some additional challenges. It's impossible to fit a 20-year career into a few minutes. But Nate did his best to summarize his experience, beginning with his time spent as an infantry grunt, moving into pre- and post-9-11 counterintelligence, and culminating in time spent with Special Operations Command. I enlisted in the infantry in the Marine Corps, uh, so I spent my first four years as a, as a grunt, as they say in the Marine Corps. Uh, so I did that for four years, and it was interesting, had, had, had a couple of... Uh, interesting opportunities to, to travel overseas and to see things. You know, at that time in the, in the late 90s, uh, a lot of what the Marine Corps did was, was embark on naval vessels and, and spend time in, in various as- different aspects of the world in, in, in preparation for response to contingencies. And I did that a couple of times, um, which provided me some unique opportunities. I had the you know, opportunity to participate in you know, some humanitarian relief efforts in places like Albania and Turkey. Uh, in response to some earthquakes, H- had the opportunity to to be part of the the, the Balkans conflict and spend some time in, in Kosovo, and and certainly got a taste of of what to a very small extent what what combat was like and, and what what that environment was like, uh, and, and and met some great people. Um, at the end of that four years, kind of like looking around, love love the grunts, love the infantry, but but was kind of looking for something a little bit more uh, challenging, maybe perhaps a little bit more cerebral, and a little bit more demanding, and, and I had the opportunity to apply for. Uh, the counterintelligence, human intelligence career field in the Marine Corps, and, and, and at that point, again, this is this is kind of pre nine eleven. It was still it was a very small niche group of folks within the Marine Corps. So I, I did that. I, I was it was fortunate. It was kind of like I said, a, a pretty unique opportunity. Not a whole lot of folks did that, uh, and we got to do some some things were were kind of I would say non standard and interesting in in, in in terms of travel, in terms of the types of people we got to engage with, and it was extremely challenging. Uh, quite often we were. On our own or in small teams, quite often we're responsible for, you know, really developing some some substantive relationships with people to to learn more about a culture or to learn more about a potential hostile threat. Everything from, you know, spending time in in Asia uh, and working, you know, with with U.S. and host nation partners partners in Asia, to spending some time in in El Paso, Texas, on the southwest border, helping to provide military support to federal, state, local, tribal law enforcement. So, so it, was, it, was, it was unique, interesting. And, and, and about that point, I hit about, uh, about roughly about the eight-year mark in terms of time in the Marine Corps. And I decided to, uh, that I would like to take on the challenge and the responsibility of becoming a Marine Corps officer. Uh, so I uh, applied and, and became a Marine Corps officer. And, and fortunate was able to kind of continue in the same career field. So I, I, so I was able to stay as a counterintelligence, human intelligence. You know, I went from, a, from doing that as a specialist to doing that as, a, as an officer. So that would have been in 2005. And from there, you know, got to continue to serve. Certainly this was now, you know, post 9-11 and very active in places like uh, Afghanistan and then Iraq. So, so spent, you know, from there several, uh, you know, several years deploying to Iraq. Uh, you know, fortunate to be able to lead, you know, teams of, of, of counterintelligence, human intelligence folks in, in support of various operations in Iraq. 
Uh, and again, a lot of a lot of engaging with host nations, a lot of, of helping to build a, a host nation capability in terms of security and governance and economics, and then you know the the, the opportunity to to support the you know the infantry and the infantry uh, infantry men and infantry battalion commanders that I you know I kind of grew up with originally in my in my in my first four years, and it was about that time. So now we're in about. 2009 timeframe, I, I had a chance to kind of step out of that, uh, what we call kind of operational forces, and actually spend about a year and a half teaching uh, at, a, at a joint, uh, you know, sort of multi-service military school in in the in the D.C. area, which was kind of fun, you know, again, teaching what I had been doing for, for the previous 10, uh, 10 or 12 years or so, which is very rewarding, more rewarding than I would have thought. Um, after that was was over, I was, I was fortunate enough to, to have a chance to continue uh, in my career field, but but do it in support of special operations. And more specifically, I, I had the opportunity to uh, to join the Marine Corps Special Operations Command uh, on the West Coast, and and spent uh, really spent the last six and a half, almost seven years of my career at Marine Corps Special Operations Command. Now now the Marine Raiders, in supporting those uh, individuals, men and women, in, in terms of executing their mission uh, in support of of SOCOM, and that you know that was certainly or Special Operations Command. It was certainly some. Some deployments, several deployments to Afghanistan, and and then also a couple of uh, you know operations in the Pacific to help our various uh, partners uh, build capacity and, and identify identify threats. And just what were you doing on those deployments to Afghanistan, for example? Yeah, so that was those those were some very interesting, very challenging deployments. So I will give you kind of one of you know I would say one of the deployments I was most proud of was I had the opportunity to lead a small. Uh, what we call special operations command and control element in Herat province, uh, Afghanistan. So a good chunk of what I did was uh, engage with the local population. And, and particularly, I, I spent a lot of time as an advisor to the Afghan provincial governor of Herat. Uh, so think of kind of the state level governor um, in, in comparison to, to the kind of U.S. structure. I would spend a lot of time meeting with uh, the governor and his security apparatus in in both trying to identify threats, but also trying to help them work through some of the challenges they were facing, and which is pretty you know pretty extensive when you when you talk about a population of you know four hundred thousand and being able to help that governor um, you know through some challenges that they were facing, whether it be insurgents or helping to you know helping to put together a a, a national helping to put together a national election a security and safety plan from from their perspective. Yeah, and I'm just curious because you were already. You'd been in the Marines for a while by 9-11. Mm-hmm. Just what went through your head on 9-11? What, were, were you scared? Did you think that something much, much worse was coming? You know, that's a good question. What was going to happen to you? And, 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 you know, quite frankly, the answer is we, we didn't know. There, there, was, there was a lot of unknowns at the time. So I, and, and it was kind of interesting. I was actually uh, stationed in Okinawa, Japan at the time. And I, I remember vividly, it was, it was you know, it must have been nine, ten o'clock at night, and I was about ready to go <laughs> get to bed. It had been a long day. I'm, you know, probably got to get up early the next morning. I was about ready to, to go to bed. And and my boss had called me, and for some reason he was in the office. And I'm like, that's strange. He'd, he'd called me and said, hey, are you watching TV? I said, no, no, I'm getting ready to go to bed. So go, go turn the TV on. And that's when I watched the the second uh, plane crash into the the Twin Towers. And, and um, you know, so your gut reaction at that point is, you know, uh, throwing a few explicatives, like uh, and, and and so we rushed back in the office, and I remember spending the next you know, next several days. Uh, I don't think we left work for for quite so, for for quite a few days, just really trying to figure out what what was going on. You know, there was there was so much uncertainty, particularly from our perspective in the military. Was this an accident? Was this a larger attack? Was this an isolated terrorist incident? Could we expect more of these across the globe? Um, so so there was certainly a lot of uncertainty. I, and about. 
you know, so much fear. I think that that was certainly some concern. I think, you know, certainly what we in the military do is, is plan for contingencies, plan for things uh, like this. So, so I think, we, you know, we certainly were very busy, certainly very engaged in trying to, one, ascertain what, what had happened, uh, and then two, trying to figure out, okay, where do we need to, you know, what do we need to do next? Um, particularly, you know, that was kind of, yeah, at the time, my, my, my lane, right? Terrorism, you know, counterterrorism, understanding terrorist groups and organizations, that was really fell squarely in, in, in at least in the Marine Corps aspect of the intelligence field and the, and the counterintelligence, human intelligence field, which I was, you know, you know certainly intimately, invo- intimately involved with. Yeah, you said that that field was really pretty small at the time yeah. when you got into it. I imagine yeah. that changed very. Quickly. It, it did. <laughs> it, it grew up significantly. I, you know, I don't know what the current numbers are, but I think it went from a couple of hundred to, to to almost a thousand, if not, you know, maybe maybe just shy of that. Uh, but yeah, that field certainly certainly grew up and, and took on a larger role. Where where you know, kind of by 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 two thousand five, two thousand six timeframe, you know, just about every infantry battalion that that deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan. All had a contingent of or a small team of of counterintelligence, human intelligence professionals with them. Now that we're caught up on some of your military career, let's take a little bit of a turn and look at your transition yeah. into civilian life. Why did you decide to come here to Bozeman once you left the military, and what did you start out doing here? From my perspective, I wanted to you know find some opportunities in the private sector. Um, I you know I certainly spent twenty years in the government and 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 could have continued in other capacities in the government service, but I. You know, like I said, I've, I've done that uh, and, and didn't really want to continue work, working for another government agency or working as a civilian in, in, in some of the previous organizations I'd worked with. So um, I, I you know, personally decided that it was, it, was the, it was the private sector. So started looking at, at you know, some, some areas and opportunities within the private sector. We certainly knew that, that from my wife and I's you know, quality of life perspective, we, we like the West. We like being around mountains. We like being around water. I had been coming in out of, you know, with my family being here for, for 20 plus years, I had been coming in out of Bozeman for a while. So I certainly knew about Bozeman for a long time. And from a quality of life perspective, it, it checked all the boxes. As we started looking around in, in terms of opportunities and learn more about kind of the growth in Bozeman, and you know, in large part driven by the tech sector and kind of this, this tech explosion over, over the last you know, 10, 15 years or so, but, but quite a few other opportunities in Bozeman. Yeah, and the more we looked at it, you know, uh, from that perspective, the, the more it, it made sense. So we kind of made that decision on a relatively short notice, uh, threw everything in the car, and and drove up here. And like I said, fortunately, we had family here, and and my wife continued to work, so that provides a little bit of flexibility for for me to start networking up here, talking to people, and get a sense of what specific opportunities there were. Yeah, you mentioned the tech sector, but actually. Your first job was as a district manager for Starbucks. So yeah, yeah, how did yeah. that? Play well, out? you know, the best laid plans sometimes. <laughs> um, actually, through some networking here in 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 Bozeman and in, in the Montana High Tech Business Alliance was one of those that kind of helped me network and through through a few veteran connections, I, I heard about an opportunity with Starbucks and and I applied and 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 went through that process and, and you know and Starbucks took a chance. I mean, here's a guy coming out of the military with with, with 20 years and, and and very little you know sales or coffee experience, but but we're going to take a chance. And I was very appreciative of them uh, for doing that. So yeah, I spent about a year as a district manager for Southern Montana and Northern Wyoming. It was it was a great company to work for and, and, a, and a, a good team to work with. But you were also just coming directly from the Marines where you helped stabilize and build governments yeah. across the sea. Was it ever kind of, I don't know, disappointing or boring to work for Starbucks or were there enough new challenges that was interesting? It, it was it was never boring. Um, there were certainly enough uh, new challenges. It, it, it's it's kind of funny, uh, and I, I joke with a couple other of my, uh, my veteran uh, uh, peers at Starbucks at the time, that 
you know, the more I got to learn that there really are more similarities uh, to my military career than differences, right? I mean, it's, you know, Starbucks, uh, like the Marine Corps, is, is, is run by people. And in order to do that effectively, you need to uh, be able to effectively communicate with those people. You need to be able to lead them. You need to be able to inspire them. Uh, you need to be able to support and motivate them. And, and that's, you know, Starbucks, the same thing, right? I, I, you know, um, you know it's kind of funny. Somebody had said something. Are you, are you prepared to, you know, to, to deal with, you know, younger population? And, and you know, most Starbucks baristas are, are, are younger and, and of a different generation. I, I, I kind of turned around, like, looked at this individual. I'm like, are you serious? Do you know the average age of a Marine? I, I think I've been dealing with, you know, with young adults uh, most, of my, most of my career, most of my adult life. So, yeah, I'm absolutely uh, prepared for this. So, so some of the base stuff are the same, right? Like people are people. People still have problems. People still have challenges. Um, some of the you know, transferable skills were, were problem solving, right? And you know the logistics of, of getting supplies out to a remote area on the battlefield are not all that much different from, from, from getting coffee and milk to Sheridan, Wyoming at, on short notice, right? So it's, it, was, it, it was interesting in, in how I was able to apply what I, what I learned in the military. Communication, problem solving, leadership. Uh, training and education. Now, I tell you what, there certainly was a learning curve, right? Uh, I had never had to worry about you know, labor hours in the Marine Corps, right? It's just you worked until the work was done and then you, you went and did some other work. But it was, it was interesting to, to be able to have to learn how to manage labor hours, to, to, to learn about retail sales, to learn about profit and loss statements. You, you know, you certainly had some, some fiscal exposure with budgets in, in the military, but, but never to the level of of managing a profit and loss statement and, and looking, understanding what those lines meant and how my actions could, could impact those. So it was a great education, great learning curve, um, a bit humbling, right? Uh, I would say, you know, certainly at the end of my Marine Corps career, I was kind of more or less at the top of the food chain in my respective, you know, respective field. I was a subject matter expert. Um, for the most part, when I spoke, people listened and, and I, I knew what I was doing and I, I get into... I get into Starbucks, I get into the coffee business, and it was, it was humbling because there was a lot I had to learn. And like you mentioned, you stayed at Starbucks for a year, mm-hmm. but you're not there any longer. What are you doing nowadays? I am not. You know, I, I, this was a, another difficult decision. I, I love the company. I love the people. Um, it, you know, it's kind of an interesting story. So an individual that I had served with in Marine Corps Special Operations that, that I had known uh, for a couple of years... Um, Back in January of 2019, he, he, he got on with this financial tech startup company uh, and very early on. And, and, and was, you know, they were, they, this company happened to be building out an engineering, software engineering team here in, in, in Montana. Um, and so, so this buddy of mine was coming back and forth to Montana. And certainly we'd, we'd get together for coffee or for, 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 for beers every once in a while when he came into town. And the company was growing to such that, that he was having difficulty splitting his time between the other offices in, in the Montana office and, and and quite frankly said, hey, would I be interested in doing what, what he's doing in terms of, of helping to grow and take care of a, uh, a software engineering team here in Montana. And, and kind of the more I talked to him, this was you know, over a period of a couple of months, the more I talked to him, uh, the more I kind of learned what the company was about, the more I, I learned what the opportunity was. It, was. it really seemed to me one of those kind of unique opportunities to get in on the ground level and build a high-performing team from the ground up, and certainly something that I had experienced with the military, certainly something that, that, that really I, I get excited and passionate about. Um, and, and like I said, it was, it was a difficult decision, but, but um, at the end of the day, I, I, I you know, accepted an offer from Figure Technologies and, and said goodbye to my, uh, you know, to, my, to my friends at Starbucks and, and took this job um, with Figure Technologies. 
I'll try my best to dumb it down, but Figure helps cut out fees and middlemen when it comes to things like mortgages. They do this using blockchain technology, which apparently isn't just for Bitcoin anymore. Needless to say, Nate has found his way into the tech sector at long last. He's also mentioned some difficulties of transitioning into civilian life, but these mostly had to do with learning to work in the private sector. I wanted to know if he had had any trouble on a more personal level. You know, I think any time you make a significant change in your life, that, that is difficult, right? And, and so I had moved away from an organization which I had been with for 20 years. So, you know, I, I knew the language, uh, I knew the people, I knew the culture, um, I knew how to behave, you know, all kinds of things that you learn over a career. I certainly had some very close friends, including you know, family uh, that were in the military. You know, I built relationships with people over, over years of service, sometimes in some very austere, very you know, harsh environments, which tends to build some strong bonds and relationships. Um, and like I said earlier, I, I went from a, from a job which I was you know, more or less at the, at, the, at the top, higher edge of the pecking order, if you will, and, and certainly um, had a lot of experience and was able to talk with a lot of authority. So, so to leave all of that behind, and, and to start over in a, in a new sector with new languages to meet new people and develop new uh, relationships and bonds and kind of understand what, what you can and can't do, that, that, that's, that's challenging. That, was, that is difficult. And it continues to be difficult, not insurmountable, but I think that continues to be um, a challenge. Do you have any advice for other people trying to make transitions? <laughs> yeah, tons of advice, right? Um, you know, that's a... That, that's a great question. I think it brings me to to one of my, I think, the lessons that I have kind of learned, particularly over the last couple of years in transitions. And I think one of the things that's important to convey to the to the wider public, you know, this is kind of one of the first times in in U.S. history that that the percentage of the population with direct connections to the armed forces, the militaries, is pretty low, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think it's, it's, it's incumbent upon all of us, and, and, and I really appreciate you know, your efforts, in terms of helping to try and educate the wider population on, on, on what military service is, what veterans are, and, and kind of then, then where you can kind of help plug in and help them transition when, when their time of, of military service is up. Certainly not service, but military service. And, and I, one of the things that I, I think is, is is difficult for, for most folks to comprehend. And certainly, I think we use the term veterans uh, incorrectly. Maybe, not, maybe that's not the right way to put it. But I think what we do is veteran is a broad, extremely broad term. And I think all too often we lump everybody that has ever served as a veteran and think they're all more or less the same and, and then try and, and, and solve or assist them or help them with essentially the same application. Um, so just like from my perspective, when you say veteran, you're looking at, at roughly an 80-year span in age group, right? Because we still have, you know, there's certainly some World War II vets that are still with us all the way up to, you know, the young woman that is serving right now, right? So you t- you're roughly talking about an 80-year span of, of, of folks in terms of age. You're talking four, maybe five branches of service. You're talking roughly, you know, probably 300 plus different military occupational specialties. You're talking uh, extremely ethnically diverse force, and and you're talking uh, folks have, have served anywhere from from three years to 40 years. From a context, that's millions of people. 
Uh, and that is, is millions of different experiences, uh, different jobs, different educations, different relationships, different skills. And, and I think all too often we, we kind of lump all that into one, and that, that, that makes it challenging to really address what do veterans need. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think you know, one of the first steps I think we need to do is, is really you know, take the time to kind of understand individual or, or groups of veterans' background experiences. And, and, and that may take a little bit more than, than buying them a cup of coffee and saying thank you for your service and, and moving on, which I absolutely appreciate. But I think if we are really serious about helping veterans, we need to understand the individual veterans we are dealing with uh, on a more one-on-one or, or small group level. We really need to understand what their needs are. Because the needs for a you know, 85-year-old Korean War veteran uh, are much different than the needs of a, of a, of a 21-year-old mother of three who's just now getting out of the Navy, right? I mean, that's just, just vastly different, right? But I, I think that's important to kind of to dig beyond that and to really get to know the veterans. And really from a, you know, if, if you were to ask me, hey, what can, what can we do? What can the civilian population do or those that haven't served do? It's like, well, one is, is kind of figure out what, what you want to do. What, 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 what do you want to help with? Mm-hmm. Do you want to help find jobs? Do you want to help with post-traumatic stress? Do you want to help with... You know, wounded warriors. You know, what what what's your passion? What do you want to help? And then from there, then you know, I'd help identify those those populations of veterans that 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 need that that level of assistance. There are lots of ways to support veterans. It just so happens that Bunker Labs is an organization in Bozeman doing just that by helping service members who want to start their own businesses. So Bunker Labs is a nationwide nonprofit uh, that helps uh, aspiring veteran entrepreneurs and and veteran spouses. Uh, get connected to resources and opportunities in order to to you know start grow a business and really I think you know from from Bunker Labs perspective is is really the more veterans we can get into the private sector in terms of business ownership the, the better and I think we look at, at previous generations particularly you know in the World War II generation and, and some others in terms of how much they contributed to the growth of this country from a from a business aspect and I think we'd like to to, to get a little bit closer to that. So, so Bunker Labs, uh, with a couple of different programs, they, they are able to run and manage through various chapters throughout the country, really, quite frankly, help connect veterans to those opportunities we talked about, to whether it be a, a resource or, or to connect them to other veterans or to help solve problems and overcome challenges. Um, that's, that's really kind of in a nutshell what, what, what Bunker Labs is, is about and, and attempting to do. Yeah, how did you first find Bunker Labs? Yeah, great. So, so like, you know, one of my, you know, certainly did a, is I transitioned uh, from the military and, and, and moved to Bozeman, did a lot of networking, and there were some, there were some groups uh, that were helpful in that and, and identified, you know, sort of came across Bunker Labs, uh, I think through some research or, or perhaps it was word of mouth, and started attending some of their networking events, which they do uh, about five to six a year, called, they call them Bunker Brews. Uh, and, and I went to a couple of these, and, and it was a great opportunity to, to, to meet some other folks, uh, both veterans and non-veterans in the, in the community, um, and just kind of help build that network. So I kinda, that's how I, came across, uh, how I came across Bunker Labs. The main focus of Bunker Labs is to support entrepreneurs who yeah. are looking to be, or support veterans who are looking to be entrepreneurs, but are you also willing to help provide some support and networking for veterans who maybe aren't interested in starting their own business? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, like we got to be a little bit careful about, you know, entrepreneur becomes kind of a scary term sometimes, right? Uh, and entrepreneur is not, you know, you don't have to be uh, uh, the next, you know, start the next Facebook or, 
or develop the next you know uh, gadget or widget that that revolutionizes the world. You don't have to develop the next iPhone, right? You know, an entrepreneur is, is essentially a business leader, a business owner that, that wants to grow or expand or start a business. And I think that that term actually, we can use it a little bit broader and apply applies to more people. I think there are a lot of people that would not identify themselves as entrepreneurs, yet you ask them what they want to do or what they're involved in, and it, 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 it may actually fit the definition of entrepreneur. So, so the answer to your question is, 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 one, is I think we need to take a little bit broader look at the term entrepreneur and, and make sure that's more inclusive and understanding of people. But two, absolutely. Like, I, absolutely. I, the, the, the point of Bunker Labs is to bring the community together, in, in particularly in, in, in support of, of veterans. And, I, and I'll use myself as an example. I, I'm not an entrepreneur. I, I, I work for an uh, entrepreneur. I work in a, you know, in a growing fintech environment. Um, but I've got some experiences in, in that, you know, not just at, at, at Figure, but also at Starbucks. And I think I have some value added in terms of just some one-on-one conversations and, and some, some advice and recommendations I can provide to a veteran entrepreneur, uh, even though I'm not an entrepreneur myself. And so I, so I, think, I think, yes, absolutely, we, we absolutely are open to uh, all veterans and absolutely willing to support um, veterans that, that are, are, are looking at the private sector or, or trying to figure out what they're, what they're going to do in the future. And just one last thing, if someone listening to this wants to learn more about Bunker Labs or wants to attend a Bunker Brews event, how can they find out some more? Yeah, great. So, so we, we, like I said, we have, uh, we, we're going to try and do about five to six of these over 2019, these Bunker Brews, so these, these opportunities to come together in a, in a, in a casual social networking environment uh, and, and get connected both, both for veterans to get connected as well as for, for those in the, in the private sector business community to get connected to, to veterans. So. We've got a website, uh, you know, bunkerlabs.org. Um, please uh, feel free to, to reach out to me via email. So you know, nate.lampert, L-A-M-P-E-R-T, at bunkerlabs.org. Um, like I said, you go on the website and, and look for the, the Bozeman chapter. You'll, you'll absolutely see a schedule of our next events. Uh, in fact, we're fortunate to have Hoplite Industries hosting uh, our next Bunker Brews at the end of February, 28th February. Um, so that'll be a, a you know the, kind of the first uh, kickoff for 2019 and a great opportunity and we're really appreciative of Hoplite for for being the first one to kind of help support it support us for for 2019. I would like to thank the city of Bozeman, particularly the public library and office of economic development, for giving me the opportunity to create this podcast. Additional thanks to Montana Campus Compact and to Gallatin Valley Community Radio for broadcasting the show. Tune your radios to KGVM 95.9 and give them a listen. Original music was provided by the benevolent Jeffrey Lackman, a friend. Feel free to leave a comment. I'd love to hear how you think we can make this better. Subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. And if you're an entrepreneur in the city of Bozeman, or you know an entrepreneur in these parts, let me know. Maybe your story can be the next we tell. I can be contacted by email at vista at bozeman.net. That's V-I-S-T-A at bozeman.net.